Hello, and welcome to The Regrettable Century. I'm Chris, and I just wanted to introduce this as part two of our two-part series on fascist anti-capitalism. So, if you haven't listened to part one yet, go back and listen to that now. Benoit and Thiriar have direct connections to Francis Parker Yaki, and Thiriar has direct connections to the Waffen-SS. He served in the French detachment of the Waffen-SS in World War II. And both of these guys go to Russia right after the collapse and uh, start hanging out in this grouping called the, the National Salvation Front, which includes Alexander Dugan, Edouard uh, Limonov, and Gennady Zayuganov. Oh, see, that's you know, that's a really interesting name to be in that list. Right, right. So, Gennady Zayuganov is the founder of the Communist Party of the Russian Federation, which which looks like it's the successor to the Russian Communist Party. Yeah, it purports to be, you know. Yeah, but it turns out it founded by a guy who was in this ultranationalist grouping with the two dudes who now head the uh, Russian National National Bolshevik Front, or the the other Russia parties, what they're called now, because they had to rebrand after being outlawed, and the um, Eurasianist fourth political theory of Alexander Dugin. Dugin and Limonov, they found the National Bolshevik Party, and Dugin is probably the more fascist of the two, and they adopt some really sort of shitty imagery that you've all seen. And I remember in the early 2000s when I first started seeing National Bolshevik imagery, it was just the shittiest Photoshop jobs Dude. of like... That's their aesthetic, of like though. Nazi Of Nazi-like propaganda art with a hammer and sickle over it. Um, what's his name? The Russian um, Marxist who he curated that book or he edited that book about called The Thinking Read. Boris Kogarlitsky. I think, yeah. I think it was Kogarlitsky that said that like... National Bolshevism isn't so much a political movement as it is a really weak postmodern aesthetic project. Yeah, and that's what it seemed like whenever I would see it online. Like, it, it didn't seem like it had a lot of support, but apparently it did. Um, yeah. Um, well, who knew that if you, like, completely destroyed people's lives for an entire generation, that they might come out the other end a little bit uh, fucked up. <laughs> so the National Bolsheviks have this sort of Eurasia versus America initial founding and they have these ultra nationalist ideas when you when you really look at what they are now it's different than what they were when they first started out they were, they were very fascistic in the beginning and now they kind of just seem like a left nationalist party well so isn't um, that a result of the break between dugan and limonov or limonov i think so so yeah, does that mean I that so like dugan's the hitler and limonov is the strasser in this relationship <laughs> yeah but uh, yeah, so Dugan leaves, and so Dugan is super interesting guy. He's a he's a philosophy professor, and during the Soviet Union, was part of like occultist groups. He initially came into this National Salvation Front as a hardcore mystical traditionalist, like in the in the vein of Julius Evola, you know. In fact, he, he helped translate Julius Evola into Russian, and he used to publish it in his magazine. Man, why is it always that like? esoteric occultic people are always end up being on the far right 
not all yeah. of them. Yeah, it's, you, definitely, it's you, not you, all of them. But but yeah, no, it is. It's not all of them. It, but, it, but there's no, no like you're, you're right. There's no problem. like s- strong like political you know like left left wing political expression of like occultism. That's I mean that's not true. There's just not one that that I'm familiar with. But I know that the right. well, there's a. Luna Sharsky yeah. was a was an occultist and a he, he was he was commissar of enlightenment in the commissar of enlightenment that's right yeah. well and uh, which is I mean, a, a tight thing to I mean, be here in the Pacific Northwest that's uh, it's actually like um, there's a strident anti-fascist um, sh- streak in a lot of the neo-pagan paganism around here oh here too um, in Austin for sure. Like the neo pagan community here is absolutely anarchist, you know, mm-hmm. but it seems as though other practitioners of sort of occultic rites, like other esotericists that are, that like practice like high magic and stuff like that, people influenced by Aleister Crowley and uh, yeah. you know the um, well, yeah, well, I mean, Satanism has has its two like trees or whatever. It's got the uh, the Church of Satan. Um, and they're all like, just, I mean, they're mostly just want to piss off mom and dad, but you know, uh, their, their political expression is extremely fascist, but the fascist slash libertarian. They're like fucking Ayn Rand with pentagrams. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then there's the satanic temple and they're like, they're like super progressive generally. Right. And they're like lean in with (laughs) pentagrams. (laughs) Yeah. The, um. The Church of Satan is really like kind of alt right, and that it's like its aesthetic is transgression, just for its own sake, right? Yeah, and it's like so it tends toward like a libertarian, but they're not really like anti-feminist though. Well, I guess it doesn't really matter. You can be as an individual. Yeah, exactly, exactly. That's that's exactly how it would be. But they would also be fine with a powerful woman being powerful or whatever. Like just be be who you are and be powerful. So Dugan basically um, he comes into the National Bolsheviks and provides the the fascistic portion of National Bolshevism. Then they split, and the National Bolsheviks now are you know uh, like I, I've heard them referred to as essentially just being like SRs from the Bolshevik Revolution. They believe in Russian nationalism. They believe in. Uh, Nationalizing the means of production and allowing uh, small-scale capitalism to continue on under this state that is controlled, uh, sort of. I, I guess they they believe in authoritarian an authoritarian state that sort of ruled in the same way that the Soviet Union was. I mean, I guess they were a really contradictory formation, weren't they? Like the SRs uh, overall, and like they split in a bunch of different ways. So I guess maybe in that way they are right. Maybe the Nazbuls are similar in that way. Only, I guess, the, 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 you know, the SRs aren't. The left SRs joined the Bolsheviks. We're, we're essentially, like, subsumed into the Bolshevik party, right? Well, you know, a lot of them, sure. But, like, Fania Kaplan, who, like, tries to assassinate uh, Lenin, and uh, Maria Spiridnova, like, a lot of their leadership, um, you know, they, I, think, I guess they, like, go to the gallows in, in defense of the, like, Russian nation. Yeah, I think I, I don't know. I have to. I need to read more about. I need to learn more yeah, about that I, period. In, I mean, I feel like I know a lot about that period in history, but not about that particular formation, that 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 party. But the point is like that they're a contradictory phenomenon. Um, that they're a mashup right. of a bunch of ideas, and so they can break. 
you know, first they break left and right, and then their left breaks in a couple different directions as well. So maybe the new the new knots bowls are similar in that they're like a, it's an unstable blend of positions that like you know if there was a really hegemonic left in Russia or a really hegemonic right in Russia you'd see these people kind of probably splinter over that. It is, so it is contradictory, but maybe it's not as contradictory as we think. Because I I read somewhere the description being like socialist anti communism and anti-marxism so there's like an investment of the protection of like an ethno state but uh obviously like there's no desire for the withering away of that state the way like a communist would want to right so that's true yeah, yeah maybe that's, it a, is that's a fair not, point i mean it's contradictory in a lot of other ways but in terms of like i don't know defending an ethno state makes sense checks out unfortunately <laughs> Yeah, so I think that I, I yeah, I think you're you're making the point that it's it's sort of it's internally coherent. It makes sense on its own terms. But I, I think, uh, it, but but it's, uh, but 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 then perhaps also that it's contradictory, um, in in its like position in society. Where does it fit in? Whose interests is it enacting? And that's sort of that's where it gets um a little like I'm not sure how dangerous this. Thing really is is this just a bunch of petty bourgeois dilettantes trying to be weird uh to be weird like uh just like doing weird shit or is this uh, something that has some sort of like material you know um grounding that something that's gonna like go somewhere that has some sort of appeal that will undermine a, a successful left movement that will uh, uh feed into a successful right movement or, or or whatever or is this just um something that really can can be looked at as like an interesting footnote in our history books but you know doesn't have have any real impact on the world so because i know like you know strasser for, like Gregor Strasser was a, a leading member of uh, the Nazi Party, and he was like keeping shit running while Hitler was in jail. And yeah, uh, uh, and then Hitler came out and then solidified power behind himself and killed off killed off Strasser and the other like left wing of the Nazi Party, and and then like you know whatever uh, uh, became the Nazi party that, that that they were and Otto Strasser's Strasserism subsequently then said that's where Hitler went wrong or that's where Nazism went wrong is when Hitler consolidated power and pushed my brother Strasser uh, Gregor uh, out you killed him um, Nazi w- Nazism would have been successful sh- would have done it right had uh Strasserism been the uh, the the thing that carried the day. So, well, I guess what I'm getting at is like is is Otto uh, Strasser like is he getting at something accurate there in that uh, like it would have been more successful, hence more dangerous uh, under Strasserism, or was the crushing of Strasserism sort of like an inevitable uh, reality uh, given you know. The, the weight of history in my opinion um i think that the strassers would have wanted to carry the revolution to fruition right they would have wanted to you know nationalize the means of production you know redistribute the the land of the rich 
to, you know, the and create a German workers' ethnostate. And the reason that Hitler didn't do any of that stuff is because he never actually gave a shit about any of that, but also because he needed the power of the army and of the aristocracy on his side. So if the Strassers would have tried to do that, there would have been a civil war, you know, in Germany, which was on the brink of civil war from, like, and in open civil war from, like, 1918 to 1932, you know, 33. Right, like, Hitler's Hitler's coming to power is the end of that, like, I don't know about civil war. Yeah, like, low-scale civil war. Not It's not on the same scale as, like, the Russian civil war. On-again, off-again civil war, yeah. you know, essentially. A potential civil war, always. But no, I mean, like, you know, who who can really say if uh, Strasserism would have been more successful? It definitely wouldn't, you know, it didn't it didn't have this biological idea of uh, Jews being inferior and needing to be exterminated, but it like still had this they 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 had this idea of toleration for other forms of socialism of which they considered Italian fascism to be like a sort of like shitty version of what they wanted to do, you know. Um, I mean, they it were was, like, well, that's good enough for the Italians. What is shitty? Yeah, it was pretty shitty. It's good enough for the Italians. So, I mean, like... <laughs> so, who knows? I, I don't think that the German bourgeoisie would like to have been expropriated, so... Right. I mean, like, you know, when earlier we were talking about the whether or not something is contradictory, and Kevin, you said, like, yeah, it's contradic- it, it's it's internally coherent. I guess that's true, right? But the... the as, you know, since, since we're Marxists, um, it's... I think the idea, like, of a of like a cross-class formation that exists in perpetuity and like cross-class politics that's the thing that's in that's like inherently contradictory so like let's say that they were able to like you know they were the ones that win the day or that like the Nazis in russia today were able to, to like you know come to power or whatever like the, the central antagonism in, in modern society would still have existed right like just like no matter who has taken power everywhere the class struggle is still like the, the primary question. Um, yeah. So maybe there wouldn't have been a Holocaust, and that would have been great to not have a Holocaust. Um, <laughs> you know, little things like that. But like in terms of like a step <laughs> understatement. toward, you know, right. To, <laughs> right. But in terms of like a, you know, like a step toward like the development of like socialism, I, I think it probably still would have been a step backward, you know. Oh yeah, it might have been it's worse. Absolutely even. Like, in, that, in that regard, it might have been worse because it would have muddied the waters. Yeah, there, there, it's hard to imagine a worse outcome for the project of socialism. Yeah, I, I was, that's yeah. what I was going to say. Honestly, like, <laughs> talk about muddy waters. Good God, yeah. have you like gone outside lately or gone on the internet like ever? Yeah, yeah, that's true. It's not like we're. Thankfully, it turned out the way that it did. So the the national Bolsheviks seem to have have kind of just faded from relevance in the European right. Like, they pretty much only have any sort of presence in Russia, like the, uh, the other Russia party, anyway. But they inspire a lot of people. And I think that that's where their, um, their relevance comes from, is they inspire a lot of other groups. Okay, so one of the things I wanted to mention earlier actually, is that there was 
Alexander Dugan, basically, when he split off, he formed his own ideology, which he has called the fourth political theory, which is very amorphous, and it's only got a few things that are that really make it set it apart. He believes in a rejection of rationalism and materialism like fascists do. He says the same sort of stuff about about race, you know, calling for uh, ethnopluralism, a multipolar world. Um, he is he's what you would call a race realist if you're using right-wing terms. And um, one of the key things that he says in his book, which I read, unfortunately, and I would not recommend reading it because it's fucking drivel and you can get just all the information you need to from the Wikipedia article on the subject. But he calls for a system in which social justice, traditionalism, and nationalism are the three pillars. And that's about as detailed as he gets <laughs> about what he means by, you know, he uses a lot of words to basically just say that. I mean, I like listen to uh, some like lectures of his, uh, or I tried to. I had to keep skipping ahead because essentially I couldn't gather any more information out of his lecture than that. Did you did you happen to hear in his lectures where where he talks about um, the rejection of the society of the spectacle? No, I did not catch that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's interesting, yeah. but it just only further further underscores the point that like you know Dugan's Eurasianist fourth political theory and national Bolshevism and all of this stuff is just really like super idealistic kind of grab bag politics where it's like I'm discontent with the world so obviously capitalism kind of sucks the experiences of the 20th century fascism is like you know not like a thing you want to hearken back to but I'm definitely not a Marxist so like I don't know what, what else yeah, how, do, how do you if you just blend it all together like what might you come up with it, so it's like he says his his fourth political theory stands in opposition to the first three political theories being liberalism, communism, and fascism. And the way it's different than liberalism is it rejects liberal notions of pluralism and democracy. And the way it's different than communism is that it rejects Marxist materialism and um, class antagonism. And the way that it's different from fascism is that, and this is what he says, is it rejects the racial component which is not even necessary for fascism, you know, is to have that, like, sort of racial component that specifically the Nazis had, you know? So it's, 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 fascism. it's just fascism. It's fascism for the 21st century. It's, it's neo-fascism or post-fascism or whatever. Right. Um, but no, I mean, like, and Eurasianism and National Bolshevism have inspired a lot of people all over the world, including the American third positionist groupings, which are scary to me because I guess they're, you know, here. Yeah. But, um, people like Richard Spencer who get on the national mainstream media for being well-dressed and having a nice haircut, calling for a state that has free healthcare, free education, and, um, basically calling for social democracy for white people, which you know, it's it's what I've always it's what I always say about post-fascism is that if post-fascism offers nothing but neo more neoliberalism in power, then it's going to quickly face the same consequences 
that the neoliberal regimes are facing now. So Bolsonaro in power is about to have to deal with all the people that were angry at the uh, Workers' Party for its neoliberal dealings. They're going to be dealing with the same thing with Bolsonaro's regime, I mean, right? They're, they're going to deal with it like on steroids, you know. Because right. the exactly. Workers' Party, as a as a very contradictory phenomenon, was made up of people who, you know, tried to maintain the social democratic aspects of its founding or whatever, while also trying to be like pragmatic about you know the fluctuations in mark in the markets or whatever. Whereas Bolsonaro is just like, oh yeah, just deregulate and privatize everything. But so like that's why Tucker Carlson and and Ann Coulter are people who are like. You know, shifting their allegiances from the free market to whatever is good for the nation, and why Richard Spencer right. has a hearing today. Um, and so, yeah, I do think it is a little bit like American third positionism is more. It's scarier because it's the thing that you can see having like a material foundation and like having uh, having an appeal to the same types of people who uh, we would hope would become socialists instead. I mean, obviously not all the same types of people, but fifty percent of them. Well, and that's why the contradictions aren't important. Like, they're important to us because we're Marxists, but in terms of, like, winning people over, right, um, or at least away from fascist conclusions, right, is that the material gains or what people see as the material gains are what make a difference. So I don't want to, like, spend too much time making this a one or the other thing because I think the left does a very good job of asking, like, race or class and like hashing this out constantly rather than realizing that you can um, shit and walk at the same time or chew gum and walk at the same time. <laughs> Still not the same. Um, yeah, that's, that's definitely not okay. the same. <laughs> Whatever. Not like then it is absolutely both. But, you know, so when we, you know, talk about things, you know, like, yeah, the contradictions are important, but there are hella contradictions in every single word that escapes Trump's mouth. And that doesn't, um, you know, dissuade too many people right now, even in the midst of like people not getting paid right now. Um, you know, they're still invested in, you know, what they see as ultimately possibly could be gains for them. Right. And I think that's part of why it's interesting. New, um, like white nationalist movement has focused so heavily on, um, what they see as like more respectable folks, right? So like techies, because those are people who, you know, like middle class and upper middle class people who perhaps do have something to gain. I mean, ultimately, you know, I, I don't believe so. But, you know, again, like following their logic, you know, like, so I, I just think this goes back to a lot of what we're talking about when we talk about, um, you know, strategies and base building and why it's so important to pick winnable fights and get people engaged locally because no one's going to give a shit about the bigger picture if they're being evicted or whatever the list goes on. So that's, that's kind of why I wanted to talk about this um, nation article, which I guess I'll, I'll link in the show notes, which talks about this conference that Richard Spencer put on in which uh, Mike Enoch of the daily show and Eli Mosley from uh, Identity Europa. These are, like, not their real names. Uh, I think Mike Enoch's real name is Mike Pinovich, but that sounds very Jewish, doesn't it? So I know, They've so actually Enoch. attacked yeah. both of them for that. So there's a shit ton of infighting. Yeah, that's true. Um, like, in the modern white nationalist movement, which is tight, because we can relate. Yeah, more of this, please. And then uh, Richard Spencer, like, all these people, 
Um, they called the they called the war on terror America's Jewish wars, and um, they they talked about the um, the environment and climate change being huge focuses of their movement. They hold these exact same beliefs that these European rightist parties do. Like, okay, so in public, they talk about ethnopluralism and about traditional values and stuff like that. But then as we, as, as that Unicorn Riot article demonstrated, they straight up just are actual Nazis. They adopt this new right language, which is sort of dog whistle kind of language, rather than like naming the Jew, as they like to say. But yeah, so, I mean, like the Traditionalist Workers' Party is, is one of these groups, which doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> for, for the best in, reasons. In, in true traditionalist fashion, uh, the leader of the Traditionalist Workers' Party uh, was having sex with his mother-in-law. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so they basically shut down the party. And, you know, those are all going to be absorbed into other groupings, like Identity Identity Europa, which is calling for, you know, a type of socialism as well. So the Traditionalist Workers' Party actually had secret ties to the Atomwaffen, which has multiple groupings, and who have actually been arrested uh, and carried out terror plots. And the Atomwaffen, which is funny about the reason the traditional wor- traditionalist workers' party split from the Atomwaffen was because Atomwaffen are Satanists. Wait, what? Really? <laughs> the Atomwaffen are Satanists. Yeah, um, yeah. There's there's a, a stripe of neo-Nazi Satanism that uh, comes or doesn't come from uh, one a manifestation of which is the Order of the Nine Angels, which is a British neo-Nazi Satanist group. And then, of course, there's a bunch of Satanist black metal that is also neo-Nazi. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess I just didn't yeah. realize it had found an organizational form that was uh, so genuine and so, like, uh, I mean, I don't want to say consequential, but, like, yeah, it's, the Adam Waffen group is, like... If you're a terror group, though, you can have an outsized impact. They, they might not have more than, like, 50 members. Right, like, but, the, you know. the Bader Meinhof group didn't have... Uh, a mass base, but they still managed to do uh... some good work. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, seriously, like, what did they do, man? What did they do wrong? They just they they arrested some fucking former SS people and executed them. Whatever, like, mm, uh, cry about that. <laughs> that that was uh, more tongue in cheek than anything else. And maybe we'll talk about. Maybe we'll talk about the Better Meinhof gang at some point in the future. I was going to say the, the, we, we the, do... the Brigada Rosa and the Better Meinhof Red Army faction, and then there's the the Red Brigades in Japan, and there's the um, the Weather Underground. Like that's a whole interesting. That's a whole episode. Yeah. We could do like something about about left wing like terrorism. My shit. Um, I mean, not my shit. Like, I'm not into it. I'm just saying. <laughs> Yo, I'm, I like talking about it. <laughs> Yeah, let's. Well, there's a. I I remember hearing about the uh, the Red Army faction in the past, um, and they they kidnapped politicians and executed them. And then I actually read about the uh, the Red Army faction. I was like, the first politician that they arrested was a former fucking Waffen SS officer, and they killed him. And like, you know, I'm not gonna cry about that. Yeah, you know who else did that? (laughs) My grandpa. I mean, he was in the army, and it was a war, but still. It's practically yeah. That would be much fucking cooler if if Papa um, 
was killing Nazis in like 1967. Hey, we don't know. We weren't alive. Um, yeah, it's true. No, and there's also like this. You know, we could explore the the roots uh, of like you know red wing uh, red wing boots uh, like let's. <laughs> Like left-wing propaganda of the deed, narodism, you know, there's a, there's a, like a long historical trajectory and, uh, yeah, whatever. That's an interesting possible episode. Add it to the list. Let's talk about how, let's talk about how Richard Spencer, um, praises the state of Israel as a, uh, potential model for the ethno state that he would like to see built. And, uh, he, he even uses, uh, he directly quotes Theodore Herzl in saying that he wants to create an Altneuland uh, for white people in the United States, which means an old new land, meaning like, you know, something ancient, but something new, sort of, some sort of archaeofuturist vision of an, a, a white ethno state. Richard Spencer desperately wants to be an Indiana Jones bad guy. <laughs> Richard Spencer's a fucking dork, yeah. dude. I don't know... I mean, look at Richard Spencer. His suits don't fit him properly. His haircut, you know, his his fade is way too high. It goes over the curve of his head, so it makes his head look too Because he's a homophobe. He has he's no not... one looking out for him. <laughs> That's <fuck>. right. <laughs> yeah, right? He, he's a misogynist and a homophobe. Like, who's he going to get to, like, dress him and do his hair properly? Right? Yeah, because <laughs> um, Hugo Boss is not in the business uh, anymore. Not anymore. Yeah. Uh, no, like, I just want to yeah. say that it's very weird hearing words out loud pronounced because my reading voice uh has been failing me you know when you read things a bunch and you always <laughs> yeah. just assume that it's pronounced a certain way and then you're like oh that's wrong what like absolutely really that's not where your mind went New Resistance, to me, is kind of scary looking because they look on paper like an organization that you could get any, like, green anarchist to join. Yeah, it it that, doesn't look like it would be very difficult to convince some people to, like, solidify their, their um, you know, eco-militancy into... Uh, I mean, it's you know what it is, is actually it reminds me of... Uh, Almost like the politics of the Unabomber, but like, but like, but like more developed uh, in in a fascist right. Direction. Like, okay, so like they call for the same thing that a lot of anarchists call for, which is the uh, regional, like a federation, a, a loose federation of like regional sort of communes, right? And um, th- they say things like, you know, racism, like races exist, and it's important not to pretend like races don't exist and you could be you could be of any race and still um join our movement as long as you agree that the races are special and and need to have their own special areas in which to flourish which is that this is the same kind of shit that the 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 black the black panthers said it's the same kind of shit that the uh you know the nation of islam said except for these are these people are saying it for white people right it's about time somebody's put up for white people they call for national personal autonomy well, that sounds nice. Um, and and your affiliation to your to your national grouping is purely voluntary, right? So, if you identify as white what? in you the know, racial oh, yeah. all you could join. <laughs> well, in that case, I'm right? definitely going to throw in my lot with the Koreans. 
And they say things like, anti-Zionism, not anti-Semitism. We welcome Jews to join our groups. We are against Islamophobia as long as the, your version of Islam isn't imperialist. Um, and they say mass immigration is a byproduct of neoliberal capitalism. And if we can get rid of capitalism, then there won't be mass immigration anymore. And there will just be the free movement of peoples. And uh, no one's going to want to like abandon their homeland to move to a different place if there's no reason to I do mean, it. That's, that's like tr- definitely true. It is, but <laughs> they, they, want, they want to end uh, mass immigration because they don't want the browns in their land. Right, you know? that's, that's the crucial distinction. You we're, know? So we're just gonna, we're yeah. going with that then, the browns. <laughs> um, yes. Hey man, I was, I was speaking in their voice, no, not know. my own. You know? I mean... I'm a brown. Their economic and social platform is the abolition of the wage system and rent, redistribution of land, basically an armed militias, armed local militias, universal health care, large business governed by workers' councils, workers control the means of production, green energy, working towards curbing overpopulation, which that's where they differ from the left, but probably actually not from green anarchist groups. Right. I was going to say that's that's pretty in the wheelhouse of like green anarchy you know and like primitivists reduce the work week and arm all citizens yeah Um, most of that you know sounds pretty all right it sounds like exit the world stage the united states needs to step off the world stage oh and here's and here is where you start to see something more along the lines of uh of european new rightism is a return to a return to traditional spiritualism. Yeah, so like in an American, like in a North American context, what does it mean to return to traditional spiritualism? Do they mean like... Christianity or their traditions are European. Right, yeah. That's right, that's right. Yeah. Because it's a, it's, a, it's, a white, it's a white people's group. And they, and they think that there shouldn't um, be a uh, conflict man. between tra- tradition and technology. And they espouse what has been termed by the new right as archaeofuturism. This is the thing about, um, you know, when the old world is dying and the new one is struggling to be born, you have all these stupid hybrid monster formations. Like, it's what happens when there isn't a center of gravity that pulls people in any particular direction. The, the problem with these groups, all of them that we've talked about, is that they all, they, they all, have, they all try to straddle the same divide of like different, different and competing conceptions of the world. The real danger, it seems, is like, and I guess it's the whole reason we wanted to talk about this in the first place, is that like in the absence of like a hegemonic and like politically clear left, there's no reason why all these people shouldn't be like shock troops for the for like some right wing nightmare scenario instead, despite even against their best intentions. Well, and it's also true that they are all um, deliberately trying to. Um, recruit leftists because in their own words they see them as the best activists this is the language they use so that's right. why the solution is exactly to winning people over is exactly what they think is it's just like out organizing them um so you have to get our shit together it was funny in that same that same portion of that one article where they said we need to recruit leftists because leftists are the best activists and you know, if we've got an anti-capitalist, anti-war message, we could draw leftists from the left. And they also said, because we've pretty much tapped out the libertarian yeah. pool. <laughs> That's great. There are no more libertarians left because they're all fucking fascists now. 
so I, this is on the subject of being contradictory. Um, I guess I don't want to. I don't want to be suggesting that there is like nothing to be gained from having like a not like a nostalgia, but like a a sense that something has been lost from the past. That like they're like, you know, like wanting to rediscover traditional spiritualisms and like, you know, like this explosion of interest in like witchcraft and uh, you know this kind of romanticism and Sturm und Drang that um, I think characterizes the the mood of the moment. I don't think that that's necessarily inherently reactionary. In fact, I don't think it is at all. Like I, I, I think it has, it has a strong appeal for me, right? The difference is trying to cultivate like a politics around it to, to cultivate yeah. like a, to be a social architect with the specific purpose of uh, resurrecting an idealized past. That's the distinction. Like I'll, you know, read like, uh, Victorian ghost stories or whatever, and and find a lot of a lot of a lot of interest in things from the past that I think uh, oh, that's yeah. very different than um, yeah yeah I mean it, it's like Walter Benjamin or Benjamin um, oh oh Wally B got oh <laughs> god damn it <laughs> he he's got a a heavy a heavy romantic streak in him that I absolutely adore um, yeah and identify with like, yeah 100% yeah like you know? yeah um and and i i don't think that that is inherently reactionary because the the world that we want to build is a world in which we'll have the the leisure the leisure time to spend time in nature and that we'll have an economic system that isn't destroying nature and we'll be able to to do the things like spend time with our families and uh, all the things that we lament that are such a part of the past. Yeah, like erect, erect uh, stone circles and worship the sun. Sure, like if we want to, yeah. why not? Fuck it, you know? Um, but, yeah, and I think that there's nothing inherently reactionary about romanticism. The key difference is, is a romanticism for the formations of the past. Right. And, and thinking that recreating those formations is going to be the thing that gets us those things that we used to have in the past, like, you know, leisure time and clean air. <laughs> um, yeah, that is getting re, stealing back time from the rule of capital, you know, um, which is right. uh, a sort of under politicized, under theorized element of, of like, you know, this this whole thing we're going for. Rescuing, rescuing the environment from industrial runoff and pollutants and uh, um, planned obsolescence. That's a futurist project. Even if it can be, even if it probably should be inspired by uh, like a, a romanticism of, for, for, you know, for the periods in human history whenever you could just drink water out of the, out of the stream because it was there. Yeah. And uh, I've seen memes that are like, They'll Listen, show... I've seen memes. <laughs> <laughs> that that I mean, I've seen memes, right wing memes, which you know, echo right wing sentiments that are widely held. That uh, women work sixty hours a week now and barely make any money, and uh, children are left alone and have no parental guidance because both of their parents are working in unhealthy amount instead of just one of them like it was in the past. And they're like, this is what feminism got you, which is 
that sentiment is absolutely 100% correct. Like feminism without socialism, like neoliberal feminism basically helped the neoliberal project make it so that there was a, a greater pool of workers to draw from to drive down wages and gear a whole new set of products to. So it's like feminism, a feminism that isn't, that doesn't have its roots in opposing capitalism is insufficient. So that's not, of course, what they're getting at. What they're getting at is that feminism is bad because now women have to work and no one gets to watch the kids well, anymore, and right? That's what's so scary about modern white nationalism, among many other things, um, is that like they see this need to like a desperately like rebrand, um, but b to like reassess their approach um, and their analysis of things in ways that you know are more concrete and that aren't just reliving the past, right? And I think that the left yeah. is, in a lot of ways, struggling with that. I think we've talked a lot about it, and we have for years, but I think we're seeing that play out right now in terms of, like, understanding reformism. And I, I think big portions of the left are actually failing at whatever. That's a whole different episode, but... You know, um, yeah, I, th- I think we got to get better at, at updating our our shit. At we got to get relevant. better at everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't yeah. think it's altogether different, right? Like the the sure. whole the whole um, motivation for wanting to talk about this uh, the malleability of the like revanchist retrograde politics of what was once fascism is now you know, has rebranded in the form of, of things that even take some of our, our like, national Bolshevism, right? It's anti-imperialist uh, white supremacy. Right. The whole, the whole, the reason to talk about it is because of the way in which it actually does pose um, a threat in, in, in the sense that, like, people, like, people could be swayed by it for, you know, if there is, like, a revolutionary movement which promises to deliver the goods in this way that smashes your you know oppressor and it just also happens to have a component which you know slights people who don't look like you and then the the only other thing on offer is a is a kind of like milk toast uh or just confused or timid like a left that purports to speak for everybody but can't deliver the goods and can't you know square up against the oppressor like the real, the very real danger is is like exactly the one that has played out in the past. Is that people, like Jenny, you said it earlier. It's like people who are they ultimately they make decisions based on what's actually going to be good for them in the moment, uh, or even even in the in the not too distant future. You can't like promise the future forever and ever deliver even a piece of it, uh, because then people stop listening to you. That's our that's our big problem and that's our that's our big concern is that in the coming recession in the coming geopolitical crises in the era of like catastrophic climate change of like you know the refugee crises on a scale you know completely unparalleled in history anything less than a revolutionary like bold leap way ahead into the future kind of left is going is almost necessarily going to lose ground to uh, whatever triangulated hybrid form of politics like seeks to capture the energy that should belong to the to the to socialism 
and it might even call itself a kind of socialism. Well, he is in the Pacific Northwest where you have those crypto-fascists, which even though they purport to be anti-fascist, they might still be. Isn't that like, <laughs> oh, the yeah. most fucking Stalinist mentality you can have about anything? It's like, look, I know that they're like objectively standing against the thing, but they might not be in, in their hearts. We probably should get rid of them. <laughs> Lack of yeah. faith in the communist ideal. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's real turfy. There's a big problem uh, out here, too, with, like, c- kind of drawing the opposite conclusion of what you were saying earlier, Jason, about, like, uh, uh, you know, fascists like these things, these aesthetics, so therefore anybody who likes these aesthetics are bad yeah. fascists now, you know, uh, or, or or should be, like, you know, you know, harassed away from liking these things because fascists like these things. Um, and... Uh, and it's uh, it's really counterproductive because it's like that's here's some contested territory, and there's a bunch of people who aren't fascists who are like, hey, this shit's cool, uh, and then you're showing up and just being a dick to everybody. Well, it's like it's this almost mystical appreciation for symbolism, you know, where like the image stands for a thing, kind of devoid of like, you know, reality. Uh, conditions material circumstances so that like uh you know um like i really like the king dude chelsea wolf collaborations and you know or or like joy division you know or um death in june as, as we've talked about before yeah i've got a, a king dude shirt that's a mouth is rune you know and like if you're a, a dumb person <laughs> you're just like that's a nazi thing well and it's like no it's it's a fucking predates the nazis by like you know fucking thousand you years you don't have to be dumb you just have years. to be wrong smart people are wrong sometimes <laughs> that's true i'm sorry <laughs> well and conversely um well you don't know about runes <laughs> you <laughs> only, <laughs> only idiots don't know about runes yeah and conversely like you know the hammer and sickle is one of the most if not the most like appropriated uh yeah recuperated you know misused image. It doesn't mean anything. Yeah, like, okay, think... Yeah, no, no. It there, means there's a nothing. bar. There's a bar uh, here in Portland that all their menus uh, have a hammer and sickle on the corner of them because the menus were provided by a vodka company, uh, a Russian vodka company, that you has the hammer and sickle as their brand. The hammer and sickle is their brand. Remember yep. we in the situationist spectacle discussion we talked about recuperation and that's a pretty good example of it right there but like the hammers you know you can actually uh i actually remember a moment when i when this clicked for me that i was like uh, i was wearing a hammer and sickle pin on my jacket and i walked into a uh not forever 21 what's the other urban outfitters and they had a soviet union t-shirt on sale and earlier that day, I had like been reading about national Bolshevism, and I was like, "Hey, look, we all use the same fucking symbol." And like, you know, I am aware of this kind of tankies that like idolize uh, the Assad government and the current Russian government as well. And it's like the hammer and sickle is this is the like is the constant between this like left wing politics, commercialism, uh, right wing politics. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> 
Like, by itself, it's a completely insignificant, empty signifier into which you can pour anything. 